Hello, welcome to a very special episode of Sunday School from Harvey Nichols. I'm Deborah B, and today I have the great pleasure to speak to Nadia Swarovski. 124 years ago, Nadia's great-great-grandfather, Daniel Swarovski, had a vision to create a diamond for everyone. He patented a crystal-cutting machine and set up production in the Austrian Alps. Swarovski was born. Nadia is the fifth generation of the family to work in the company. The company continues to innovate and is intent on creating conscious luxury. Nadia, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here this morning. So first of all, I thought we could just touch on the history of your company, which is amazing. So 124 years ago, great-great-grandfather started the company. In that time, you've had some really iconic moments. And I know that we all think that collaborations are something that is incredibly new. But actually, you've worked with or your company's worked with some amazing um, people in the past. Can you just talk about that for a while? Yeah. So really going back to the the first day of the conception of the company, my... um, Great, great grandfather Daniel Swarovski supplied crystals to the couturier Worth, who oh, was a Charles British Worth. couturier yeah. based in Paris, and he dressed Queen Victoria. And for us, it's always a, a wonderful example of the co peaceful cohabitation of crystals and diamonds. You know, as she wore the crown jewels, she also had crystal encrusted gowns. Um, but then eventually, as the years went on, we really felt the. Um, a strong sales demand with the flapper era. Yes. Everything was about beading. You know, women cut their hair. The hair was short, therefore it left more room for decoration on the décolleté. Yeah. Um, and of course, all the gowns were encrusted with the beads. So it was a super moment for us. Then eventually the um, Art Deco era happened. And again, the, art, the crystal, the geometric shapes of the crystal truly re- um, reflected the, that time period, yeah. which called for more jewelry like that. And then we have seen the emergence of the style icons like Coco Chanel, Christian yeah. Dior, Elsa Schiaparelli. And these were all people that my grandfather Manfred worked with. That's and amazing. Really to celebrate that now, um, or to pay tribute to that past, we're supporting the Dior exhibition at the V&A. Oh, yes, I saw that. And really for us, it is such a wonderful um, art historic or fashion historic um, path down memory lane to see how Swarovski was actually implemented within fashion, uh, but also within accessory design. And it was really Dior that asked my grandfather if he couldn't create a stone for him that emanated the northern light. And then sure enough, we came up with this coating called Aurora Borealis, which has this kind of like oil-like reflection on the stone. And still today, it is our best-selling stone. And that to us just exemplified how important it is to get the feedback from the designer and to then be able to create a product that is really relevant to the designer. That's amazing. I didn't know any of that. That's amazing. So how do you think that um, the company has adapted for today's consumers? And so um, what we certainly have, how we have evolved is with our manufacturing. You know, we come from the beautiful Tyrolean Alps. Our environment is so precious, as are to us our co-workers. You know, we come from a farming community, and usually it's the oldest son of the farmer that inherits the the farm. But we have farmer son number two, three, and four that really have dedicated their lives to become cutters at Swarovski, and they refer to our factory as their factory, having worked in there for five generations, and that's just priceless. But um, So because we have the strong connection to our um, co-workers, as we call them, and our environment, we've always adapted our machinery and engineering. So at this point, um, 
we have absolutely recyclable water, right. reusable energy. Mm-hmm. We have very strong filtration systems on all the chimneys and exhausts. So that to us is modernity. We just did it on our own accord, but actually, you know, we now have put a title on it, namely CSR or Sustainability Department. And yeah. that really, you know, works very closely with the UN Global Compact um, to make sure that we're uh, absolutely adherent to environmental practices, certainly also employee practices. Um, and I think it's those values which we are seeing reflected within our consumers. Yeah. More and more of the young employees that are coming to the company are asking about Swarovski's um, charitable initiatives and our sustainability report, and certainly the young consumers asking for that. Yeah. So I have to say, this is one way where we feel we're really staying absolutely, or we are reflecting ourselves totally uh, in parallel to the zeitgeist, you know, yeah. the consideration of um, how things are manufactured. Do you think that that consumers expect businesses to be more sustainable? More and more. I think the younger consumer is so much more educated than the previous consumer. You know, they will all have seen certain documentaries about what's yeah. happening with the environment. We're feeling the effects of environment, whatever you want to call it. You know, yeah. is it global warming? Is it climate change? Is it disruptive weather? We need to act. And yes, I think the younger customer and consumer is aware and they care. Do you think it's difficult for businesses to become more responsible? No, not at all. The only thing it takes is um, will. Will to make that improvement and, of course, a financial and a time investment. And it's I, I personally think it's a must. Companies must take that time and must um, take the finances aside to really invest because it's going to come back anyway. And then there's this thing called the double bottom line or the triple bottom line, which really focuses on the people planet. And then ultimately the profit comes, you know, and I crudely said, I have to say companies haven't made that investment because it hasn't been a requirement. So really I have to say it's almost greed towards the bottom line that has prohibited from, this greater consideration to happen but you know I have to say just like you know I don't believe in that um, work-life separation you know our our work should be our lives and I would certainly hope that one's private values are also the same values that we implement at work you know it has all come together so I just think at the end of the day, this entire movement really calls for an increase in or an improvement in values, you know, and this is definitely an era of greater transparency, um, front end, back end, it should be the same, you know, and I think at the end of the day, it's good news, you know, yeah, it's really absolutely. good news for the planet, it's good news for the consumer, it's just, you know, corporations need to shape up and refocus and reprioritize. So on that, there's, there seems to be a difference between sustainability and conscious luxury. What would you say that difference is? I really don't think that there is a difference. Um, we have, you know, if anything, the difference was perhaps sustainability or green had this association with being grungy or, you know, uh, non-design driven. But actually, no. And there's so many different brands that have proven that you can still be glamorous and beautiful and luxurious while at the same time also being sustainable. And have you got any favourite brands that and you would, would yes, say? Yes, of course. Adios, <laughs> <laughs> okay, daft question. Yeah, no, but you know, and that's why actually we came up with this um, 
that phrase conscious luxury because we realized wow there is actually a connotation here and let's just remind people you know there should not be a compromise ever in the aesthetics or the qualitative positioning of a product mm -hmm. if it is environmentally sound and so in the case of Atelier Swarovski you know we have worked with um, fair trade gold yeah. so we're working with the tiny little gold in Peru and actually um, the miners are predominantly alpaca farmers that just happen to find gold on their land seriously so they're mining it and all the profits that they get from the mining goes into their farming and the entire community benefits from it you know and it was so sweet we had a little video conference with them and they all dressed up nicely in their oh. suit for the video conference and we're so excited you know they're up 10,000 feet in the you know Andes but it was so nice it was so nice that they knew that they're somehow contributing to some luxury good product and here they are so far away and try to dress up which we appreciated so much you That's know so but we're so and at Swarovski we just have the attitude my gosh we have to source materials anyway so we might as well just source from a sound um, location and the same thing is also applying to our gemstones yeah. so all the gemstones are um mine sustainably we have been certified by the responsible jewelry council which does a very thorough um audit i used to work at the body shop oh what a great experience oh, it was a great Fantastic. experience and anita roddick was um working with some farmers in nicaragua um, and she was getting sesame seed from them to make sesame scrub but she had taught the farmers how to farm organically not her herself obviously <laughs> she doesn't know how to farm organically um But she also, while she was in Nicaragua, she met some um, some kids who were on a dump who used to, it was a municipal dump and they would go and collect bottles on it. And she didn't know what to do about it. So she set up a school there for the children and we went to visit the school and it was the most amazing experience of my life because she was so, they were so proud of her and she was so revered. And these kids were getting a proper education. They had proper school uniforms and... It was like the Queen had arrived when we went to visit. It was the most incredible experience and shows how businesses can go above and beyond behaving responsibly. They can actually change lives. And I thought that that was a really good example of... That's a wonderful story and it just gives me chills, you know. And so often for us it's so easy to um, make that contribution, but it's incredible to see how huge the positive impact is yeah you know and again that's a matter of will she had the will yeah to want to have a positive impact and want to make a change and how wonderful and i'm sure that it has a very positive uh, trickle effect and well, has inspired other people to yeah, do the same well exactly and i i really yeah. I mean, it's such a shame when when she died obviously but um, a shame also when she stopped doing the body shop because i think that that passion kind of went with her yeah really. exactly no no um, anyway, okay, so now I have a question for you on um, real diamonds versus mm -hmm. manufactured diamonds. I'd be really interested to know yeah. where you stand. And so the same thing then applies, you know, as we're talking about fair trade gold, it also applies to the gem industry. So as I mentioned, all our stones are um, responsibly sourced. And then one other new category besides being sourced from the earth is, of course, the lab-grown diamonds. Mm -hmm. And yes, it is a fact that lab-grown diamonds do use less energy to be grown. Um, and certainly people on planet are not 
negatively impacted. That mm-hmm. is just a fact. Yeah. And this is the fact that we're embracing and we're actually stepping into Creative Diamonds as the next chapter of Swarovski's initiatives within the world of sustainability. But having said all of that, we are also, and we have um, expressed ourselves to the diamond industry, that we are very excited to also use diamonds as long as they're sustainably sourced. So we are in conversation with the GIA, which is the Gemologic Institute of America, to look for those mines. And they certainly exist um, in Botswana, you know, where there are very regulated processes. Um, Diamonds are traceable. Um, The GIA has created an app. When you buy a diamond in the jewelry store, you can get this app and you can actually trace your diamond. There are photographs of the diamond coming out of the mine and shows the entire process of what happens to that diamond until it ends up in your ring. And that is fantastic. And, and you know, if Swarovski's efforts within the created diamond world has the impact of encouraging miners uh, or the mining industry to mine sustainably, then that's fantastic. Yeah. And we will be their customer, you know. And how when when you say about manufactured diamonds, how how does one manufacture? A so diamond? there are actually um, three different processes. Two are the most popular. That's vapor deposition, um, and the other one is high heat, high pressure, which is the one that's so, high energy. Which is really exactly, and that's totally replicating the natural process: right. high heat, yeah. high pressure. Yeah. Um, and then um, I think De Beers with their plant are really also growing the colored diamonds, which I think is really, really exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, predominantly, it's more clear or slightly brown or yellow um, that we're seeing coming out of China and India. Um, but I have to say, I totally appreciate the technology that's behind it. You know, try to figure out how to grow a diamond. That's hard. How to Try to figure out how to make a crystal. That is hard. I mean, we have these melting pots that are the size of this building, right? And we, we chuck in certain chemicals from potter, sodium, quartz, and so on, quartz sand, that's all melted and out comes what looks like honey, but that's crystal. And then it goes into the different molds and then we cut it. You know, that's such a tedious, intricate process. I appreciate the crystal because of its manufacturing. And I can only say the same thing about created diamonds. You know, I really appreciate the technology and the human intelligence that's behind it, you know. Do you think, though, that that the real diamond industry so when i say real that isn't even the right phrase but but the um, mined diamonds mm-hmm. do you think that the jewelry industry is going to be trying to tell us that they have more value because they're older maybe and there's certainly something about that you know but i also think in particular the young generation or the younger generation they will all have seen those documentaries they will have seen the blood diamond movie you know and i have to say uh, my mother probably would not buy a created diamond but my daughters only. And it's That's really a matter of the values and the values that are associated with the younger generation. You know, they don't care if it's old. They don't, they don't care, or they don't care if it's old, but they care if it was extracted in bad conditions. And I have to say, it was interesting. I was just at the Las Vegas Jewelry Fair last week, and I had oh, to yeah. give a presentation at GIA um, about this topic and there were a lot of people uh, from Africa that had mines and they were saying well what about all these artisanal mines you know then the livelihood of so many people are dependent on this and I said yes absolutely you're right and you know if we can just find a process of cleaning that up and making sure people are totally taken care of and treated the right way and you know the technologies out there to extract 
these wonderful uh, stones from the earth, if we can just apply the more environmentally sane practices, it's everyone wins. Yeah. You know, and certainly I have to say by embracing the creative diamond industry does not mean that one dismisses certainly the artisanal element. You know, that's wonderful. But um, and I just felt in general last week from Las Vegas that the whole industry is ready to embrace a better process, you know, and because people are at stake and people's voices are being heard and the photography is documenting everything and everyone wants the best. So I think... It'll, it will take a few years, but I think I totally believe in the sustainability of extracting these wonderful mil- minerals from the earth. Mm. So you've, you're celebrating 125 years next mm-hmm. year. Um, what can we expect to see as part of your celebration? My gosh, and suddenly we're realizing, what? We're 125 years? Oh, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, in a certain sense, I have to say, you have the Swarovski retail stores, but every time I have, I'm asked to speak somewhere, of course, I speak about Swarovski's history, and I'm usually mobbed after I speak by people saying, I had no idea about what Swarovski did. We didn't know that it was the Swarovski crystals on Dorothy's slippers in The Wizard of Oz or Audrey Hepburn's tiara at breakfast at Tiffany's or on Marilyn Monroe's dress when she sang Happy Birthday, Mr. President. So I think in terms of Swarovski's history, we have so much communication to do. We have to communicate about that heritage. So I think that's what we'll focus on um, next year. And, you know, I think what we really want to position is the fact that we're master cutters. We cut crystal we cut gemstones we can cut real diamonds we can cut um created diamonds so really emphasizing Swarovski's craftsmanship its heritage its strong value for quality and then of course what we really want to celebrate are those various different collaborations that you were talking about from the past to the present and um, again, you know, our product truly is so multifaceted, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> so are our customers also, you know, and that is why those different collaborations are so important to continuously show how the crystal can be implemented in so many different ways, you know, in so many different areas, whether it's clothing or fashion, jewelry, architecture. And, and you're also doing upcycling, I hear. Yes, exactly. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So we're working with um, young fashion designers. We're also working with various different universities like Central St. Martin's, the Royal College of Art, Parsons, FIT. And we're certainly um, working with the students on the sustainable use of crystal. And that means reusing crystal, upcycling crystals. And we're working with um, young designers to do that as well such as Kevin Germanier. Kevin Germanier has been amazing at um, reusing the crystal and still, as we mentioned earlier, showing an incredibly luxurious product. So I think that is really a new an exciting chapter. Uh, it's interesting, you know, because at Swarovski, as I mentioned, we had such a we have such a strong quality consideration, which means the quality control is very strict. So not one crystal leaves the factory with a bubble in it or a scratch on it. And my question is, are we too strict with our quality control? So if you upcycle crystal, it might have that scratch on it. It might have that bubble in it, which you, of course, can't see until you take a loop and look yeah, at it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, for the sake of the planet and environment, come on, we need to loosen up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> But it's doable. And, and Penelope Cruz, tell me about that. Oh, well, we dressed her at the film festival in Venice 
three or two and a half years ago, and uh, we gave her her first our first collection of created diamonds, yeah. along with our sustainability report. And apparently, she took really three hours to read that report, and we got a call the next day from her agent asking if she could work with us. Wow. And that was such an honor for us, you know, um, to be asked by her. I never would have thought about it because she's almost in a different stratosphere, you know. But it was such an honor, and we're coming together with shared values. Yeah. You know, and that's what's so special. And um, so we've really allowed her to create her collection. And, she, and course, so, so you've worked with her to create a collection that's, yes. that's her designs? That's right. It's her designs, and it she really has herself in mind when she designs the collection or when she designed the red carpet collection. And... Um, you know, the red carpet usually is very conservative. So her collection is very conservative. Um, And then she felt very strongly that her fans should be able to afford her product. So we delineated the collection, meaning it's a little bit smaller and more affordable, which is also sold at Harvey Nichols. But then we also created a crystal collection, and that crystal collection was inspired by her daughter called Luna. So this collection is called moon sun but that collection is really it's not a copy at all of the red carpet jewelry collection it has a different design ethos so it's not a cannibalization right. the crystal is not cannibalizing the created right. diamond at all right. and again it's even more affordable and um it's a lot smaller very delicate and i have to say it's been so successful so far in the That's stores amazing. people love to have an association with penelope they are so inspired by her um i think she's really that uh hollywood royalty she says you know and she's yeah. so beautiful but to know um how strong her values are makes her even more beautiful you know and if we, together with her, can increase that awareness of the environment and what we can do as customers yeah. or what we as a manufacturer can offer them, the customer, that's wonderful. And finally, then, have you got a favorite Swarovski story that is around, you know, maybe it's Ruby Slippers or maybe it's Marilyn Monroe's dress? What would be your absolute favorite thing that you're... <sighs> well... Um, there are so many stories, but one uh, was working with the costume designer, Sandy Powell, oh, yeah. who called me up and said, guess what? I'm working with Disney and I'm doing Cinderella. Can you help me do the slipper? Of course. I said, Sandy, send the sketches and we'll do that slipper. She's like, no, 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 no. I have to talk to your engineers in Austria. Okay. So she came to Austria and it was so hard to make that slipper because it's hard for us to create the concave shape. Right. Um, and they kept on saying no, no, no. And she said, kept on saying yes, yes, yes. And guess what? We made that slipper. <laughs> and um, we didn't think about commercializing that slipper. And I thought, I sat together with one cousin. I said, we got to do this. And we called the marketing department and said, absolutely not. It's going to be exp- too expensive. 2,000 euros for the slipper. Our customers will not buy that. So we brought the slipper to the boardroom and have two ants on the board. And of course, they immediately took their shoes off and tried to s- slip into that slipper. It didn't work. <laughs> I tried it myself. It didn't work <laughs> in any case. But we all made the decision. We are going to re- reproduce the slipper times 888. And we put them in the Swarovski stores, sold them for 2000 euros, and they were sold out in two days. It was such an interesting example for us because it showed 
us that the customer is willing to spend the money if they love the product, you know, and if there's a meaning behind the product. So, you know, that is what we now really strive for. You know, we try to empower people not just with the beauty of something, but actually the meaning and what it stands for. That's a lovely story. I hope you got a pair of those (laughs) shoes yourself. Well, um, unfortunately, I don't. But I have to say to all of us at Swarovski, it was wonderful to see the movie. First of all, the values were great. It was about being courageous and being kind. But it was very painful to watch the evil stepmother break the slipper in two <laughs> after it took us it was so hard to make these shoes <laughs> and again no scratch no bubble in the shoe <laughs> and Kate Blanchett has chucked it against the wall you know <laughs> okay but, well Nadia it's been so lovely to speak to you um, we've learned so much from you and I think that what you're doing with Swarovski around sustainability mm-hmm. is amazing and let's hope that more people follow in yeah. your footsteps thank you so much it's thank the you. only way forward and I hope and I know it will be the new norm and thanks to your help and thank you for your consideration also to take our product and therefore also become that extra platform of communication, you know, of this very important message of sustainability. Well, let's look out for our September issue of Harvey Nichols magazine because we're going to have a nice little piece in there about you and, and about what you're saying. So thank you very much. Thank thanks a lot. You. Cheers. Thanks. And thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this, please do share and rate the podcast and please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Deborah B. Thank you and goodbye.